You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. We'll be looking at 1 John chapter 4. If you want to turn in your Bibles to there as we, we go forward, we'll be reading from there today. Uh, but first, I'd like to pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you do tell us we can know you and we can have eternal life. And we pray that your word would speak to us today and your spirit would move our heart, that we would know uh, who you are and we would know who we are in you. We pray that you would do that for everybody in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm not an art critic by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a math teacher, so that's about as far as you can get from being an art critic. But I do recognize this picture. I would imagine most of you guys recognize that one, right? Very famous. Would you recognize the next one? Same thing, right? One of them is a forgery. I got them side by side, actually, if you want to take a look. You'd have to know what you're talking about to tell the difference, right? The one on the left is the forgery. Okay, that's the first one I showed you. And when I looked at that, I'm like, wow, that guy's pretty good, whoever did that, right? That's some, that's some good forgery. So that, I think that pretty, pretty easy to see how um, we could be fooled by something we think we know and we're familiar with, but someone played a trick on us, right? Another, another part of life where that happens, counterfeit money, right? I can't tell the difference between those two, I don't think. I'm not sure. I, I'd have to get a better look, probably, but they look pretty much the same thing, right? In fact, what I've read is that banks, to help tellers spot counterfeits, they don't give them counterfeits. They give them a whole bunch of real money that they have to spend hours and hours counting and moving, because then they get the feel they spend so much time around the original that they know the fake pretty much immediately. They can tell that way. That's how they find... The fake is by knowing what the real one's like. And I imagine art forgery experts, same thing. They study the real ones so they can pick out the differences in the false ones. And that's what we're going to talk about today in 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, the first few verses, um, it talks about how to be able to tell the fake teacher from the real teacher. So let's read in there and see what John said, and we'll, we'll spend some time talking through that. Okay? Um, it says in 1 John chapter 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not conf confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So just to give you a little background here, John, in his writing, was writing to the very early church, obviously. Oh, my goodness, there's someone wearing a Mona Lisa shirt. That's hilarious. I just saw that. That's unbelievable, the irony. Um, wow, I can't, I gotta stop now. Um, where was I? Oh, first century church. Okay, so John was writing to the, the first century church, and in that world, very different from ours, right? They had uh, hardly any concept of the New Testament being fully recognized as we have now. They had a lot of these letters from Paul and Peter and John, and they had the Gospels that had written, been written by that point. Um, so they, they had some stuff, but it wasn't as, as firm as it was for us now. Um, small gatherings and homes, not church buildings like this, 
And typically, uh, at the time, you know, led by someone in the, in the community, but there were people like the apostles going around and sharing. You, know, you, you read about Timothy and, and uh, Titus and guys like that that were trained by the apostles and sent around to go uh, share, and, and uh, they'd stay for a while. They were called itinerant preachers. That's a term from like our country, actually, back in the, the Wild West days when people would go around and, and do that same kind of thing. Um, but against that backdrop, consider how easy it would be for someone who was a false teacher to show up and say, hey, I was taught by Paul, and da-da-da, whatever, that kind of thing. So that's the, the atmosphere that John's writing to, is these people had to be aware. Every time someone came to tell them about Jesus or about God, they had to think through this. And, um, you know, of course, we're, we're in a different world in, in that. So for them, the very existence of their, their church life, of their relationship with Christ, depended on them knowing who was telling them and what was true or false. Now, realize this is not, you have to make a distinction here, this is not uh, them dealing with people trying to tell them to go worship Apollo or anything like that. The, the, the other religions were not the case for this passage. Um, it was the people claiming to be Christians and people who were teaching about um, God and Jesus in the the Christian sense that was the issue. So that, that's a totally different conversation, right? It's not a, not a matter of following, or following different religions, it's following false teachers is what we're talking about here. So for us, how's this different? Well, we have clearly defined for us what the, the scriptures are. Um, there's lots of church history, lots of um, things that have gone on in the past that we can look at and see some false teachings that were taught already so we can kind of recognize them as they come up again, and they do, they, things cycle around. Um, and most of us are really probably going to encounter pastors and teachers in the context of a church where there's kind of two layers of accountability. If you come to a church, that group has already probably you know, sorted out who their pastor is, so you'd have to know about the group. Um, or maybe a, a, you're in a church and a pastor comes in, and you, we've got to believe each other to kind of help sort through that, right? There's some firmness and some understanding in, in our history as Christians from 2,000 years ago all the way through now, and even just our relationship together here that we understand what the Bible teaches, and we have a lot more, uh, a, a lot finer filter to, to let the person sift through than those guys did. So we're in a different world. So we have to consider how this applies to us in the same way, because the teaching's true, and it applies to us no matter what. So that, that's what we have to look at today, is how do we appro approach this? Not how the, the early church did, which is worth a conversation, certainly, but this is, this is for us. So we need to think about who and what we're supposed to test here and prove, as, as it says. So I'll start with the who, okay? Um, as we're thinking about, wondering about false teachers, we absolutely have to, to be thinking about and check up on, really. That's, it's, called, it's calling for us to test the spirits, to set, test to see if these people are teaching the, the truth. So pastors and teachers certainly need to be uh, you know, listened to carefully and, and uh, paid attention to what they're teaching. In the book of Acts, we see that Paul commended the Berean Christians for checking him against what the scriptures said. For them, that would have been against the Old Testament. He, he was checking against, they were checking him against those things. He commended them, he called them noble, right? So that's certainly something you should do. How does that translate to us, right? So as you find yourself in walking along the course of life, you're gonna be most likely looking for a different church family at some point, whether you move or, you know, just circumstances in life take you somewhere else, something of that nature, things are gonna happen. Um, most of us will have to find another church at some point. And, and how do you do that? Well, you have to think about what the teaching of the church is. You have to learn about what they teach. You have to listen to them. You have to investigate you know, what they will tell you about that. 
And you want to check that against scripture. You want to, you want to figure that out. Um, Bible studies, our life groups, things like that, those people teaching need to be listened to and, and not just assume that they're right, but you should subject them to the same level of scrutiny. Are they teaching the scripture? Are the things they say lining up with the word of God? Is the entire group agreeing with them or disagreeing? If they're disagreeing, let's talk about that, right? That, that kind of thing. The, we have each other and we have the scripture to help sort that out. None, none of that should ever stand on its own. Okay, and on the other side of that, and this is more what John was addressing, if we here at River find ourselves in need of another pastor, we did that a few years ago before Sean came along, we, we searched for a pastor, right? We had, to, we had to think about how to do that. We need to test those candidates against the scripture. Do they believe and teach the things that the scripture say? You know, that, that's like a no-brainer, but that is, uh, that's how we deal with this in our lives, in our, in our modern world, that we're not having people coming in every couple of weeks trying to tell us who Jesus is. We, we have more of a, a stable, long-lasting relationship in those circumstances, and you need to do your, your homework. You need to look into that um, and, and make sure that those are, uh, those are firm in your mind. And I think those are obvious. That, that's an obvious circumstance for, for most people. That, that's something you would think about. But I, I think we have to consider, guys, there's a lot of other places that we get taught. There's a lot In this world, we have all kinds of teachers at our fingertips. There's books, radio, internet, podcasts, stuff like that. And just about anybody in the world can have a platform to say what they think, right? And as we're investigating those things, and I, I think they're good, right? I think we should look at that. There's no harm in, in you know, hearing from other folks. And, and as much as you're interested, digging into the Word of God. That's a good idea. Um, but as you do that, I really think you had to hold those people to the same standard you would hold a pastor. If you're going to let them teach you, you've got to say, are you teaching me what's true? Are you teaching me... You know, all, are all the things you say coming from Scripture? Or is the first thing you say coming from Scripture and the rest of your opinions and ideas just floating out from nowhere? And again, our ideas are okay, but they need to line up with Scripture. You have to, you have to put that package together. I think what happens mostly, my experience with that, is when we go looking at those other things, we find a topic of interest that we want to learn about, and that person may be the expert in that idea, but as they start to branch around into other ideas, they get kind of off base, and, and we need to be aware of that. I don't know that that eliminates them from teaching you about a certain idea, but it certainly raises a level of caution in my mind when, when other things start to go weird, are they getting weird everywhere? So I, I would suggest to you, honestly, you have to, um, you have to pay attention to who you're following. And I'm saying, using that word on purpose. When we engage on a regular relationship with an author or a guy on the radio or whatever, we're becoming one of their followers. And we need to follow people who follow God. So you know, I, I think that's a, uh, that's a place where John's not saying that, because that didn't exist for his world. But for us, it does. And it's an easy place to, uh, for me to see the, the parallel, that people who are teaching you are teaching you whether they're in a church or they're on the radio. And you need to to hold them to that same standard. You know, if you wouldn't have that guy be your pastor, you probably shouldn't be listening to him, in other words. That, that, that's how I would look at it. And you know, there's some limitations to that, but certainly it's a, it's a matter of discussion there. You should be thinking about that. Um, another place, I think, that comes into mind, and this is, uh, uh, as we travel through our journey in life, we're gonna rub shoulders with people who um, seem to share our beliefs, they certainly talk like Christians, and they're going to want us to connect with them. The same way we want to connect with other people. It's not wrong to do that. Um, but 
there's some things that happen in that kind of circumstance that we, need, we all need to be aware of. And here at River, we rarely call out names, and I even do this today with a little bit of trepidation, but Sean and I talked about this. But this is about false teachers of the gospel. And, and we need to, to make sure that you guys are aware. The clarity here that, that you need to test false teachers, and actually if you read in Second John, John's next letter, he's very specific about not engaging with these people and, and not, not relating to them in any sort of familiar way. Um, you should read Second John to see that. Uh, that I'm, I'm going to call some folks out today because, like I said, Sean and I talked about this. Um, I'm talking about groups like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they would have us believe that they're just a typical Christian denomination, just like every other one. And uh, some minor differences, just like they're all with all the denominations. There's, there's those little differences that don't matter, but we're all Christians. And they're very diligent in sharing their faith. They're very aggressive in that. In fact, they put us to shame in some ways, the, the, the commitment they have to sharing their faith and, uh, and converting people. Not just sharing, but converting. They're persistent and they do that. And I, I say this, guys, from experience. I've had, um, I've had to sit in that room back there with some people who had recently attended River and um, surrendered to Christ. And some Mormons got to them and started confusing them. And we sat back there with the Mormons and had a nice conversation about it. So this is not pretend play. This is real. The, the, those churches will seek to take our sheep away and draw them down the wrong path. So I'm sharing this with you with seriousness um, and not trying to offend, but it's real. Uh, and I, I got to say, guys, these two groups are specifically not Christian in the same sense that we are. And when you put them to the test, it becomes clear. And they're not alone, but they're a predominant circumstance that I think fits this perfectly, where they appear to be Christians to the, the very loose interpretation, but they're not. That's what this is talking about, is people who would claim to be followers of Christ, but are leading people astray. Um, and I'll, I'll address those as we come along. When we look at these different things that we can know about real teachers versus false teachers, I'll address some of that. This is absolutely not intended to be an anti-those groups sermon, um, but I do want you to be aware. I feel. Sean and I felt both that this is, um, we're the shepherds of the flock and we need to protect you from the wolves. So that, that's why we're, we're doing that today. Um, and, and the other groups that are in a similar fashion, but perhaps less egregious about it, closer to the truth maybe, we, we just need to be aware. And it's kind of like with those $20 bills I showed you, if you know the real $20 bill, the fakes will show. And, and that, that's kind of what I want to do with you today, show you what a real teacher is like, show you what a real uh, Christian leader, what they think and what they teach, and then show you some of the differences so that you can pick those differences out. Okay, So that's the who we need to test. The next thing I want to talk about is what we're going to test them on. Right? I'm a teacher, so testing is my thing. Right? Um, what's on the test? That's, I hear that all the time. Hey, can you tell me what's on the test? Well, this is what's on the test. In verse 2, verse 2 and 3, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So to me, it says uh, the, one of the major tests of if a teacher is real or false is how they treat Jesus, how they uh, present him to the world as who he is. And this says it talks about confessing Jesus Christ having come in the flesh. Now, this is not a simple did Jesus exist thing, right? I don't think anybody anymore really takes seriously the idea that Jesus didn't exist. The historical records outside of the Bible are 
there's more evidence from what I read and what I'm told. There's more evidence historically outside of the Bible for guys for Jesus than guys like Julius Caesar. There's more reference to references to him in more places independent of the Bible than there are guys like Caesar and stuff. We take that for granted that that's history because we learned it in school. Well, nobody questions Jesus. That's serious about it. They're trying to cause trouble if they are. Um, so him, his existence is not what they're talking about here. Um, they're talking about it, it says uh, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and. When I read that, it occurred to me to just remind you guys, did you know really that Christ isn't his last name? The world doesn't realize that the way they use it sometimes. It's his title. And that title means it's, it's a Greek word that was transliterated from the Hebrew, uh, the Messiah, right? It's about being chosen one, the anointed one, the one that God's going to use to save the world. That, that's what that word Christ means. So when we're talking about recognizing that Jesus Christ, the anointed one from God, the one who God chose, the one who God made, the one who is God will be used to save the world. That's what they're talking about, and that he came in the flesh. So what we're really dealing with here is we're talking about the divine God taking on human flesh to, to the, for the purpose of saving us. That, that's what that teacher needs to admit. And we see that clearly taught. Throughout this uh, time today, I'm going to reference some other books of the Bible. I couldn't read all these verses because there's just too many. I just want to point you to where they are. Okay. In all of the Gospels, very clearly, Jesus delineates himself as being God and coming in the flesh to save us. In Philippians, Colossians, and Hebrews, there's very specific references to the fact that his full, the fullness of his Godhead dwells in bodily form. All kinds of things of that nature, so you can, you can look those up for yourselves. Be like the Bereans, go look them up, right? Philippians, Colossians, and Hebrews, to name a few. There's more than that, but I, those are ones that stood out to me. So, you know, if, if the teachers don't admit that, they're not from God, right? And it shows very clearly also that Jesus was without sin. He never had any sin. In Romans and 2 Corinthians, he's referred to specifically as that. And not everybody teaches that. Hebrews as well. First Peter as well. Um, only one without sin. Anyone who teach, any teacher who tries to dodge those things is not from God. Those are the things that they have to say, they have to admit. And you'll find that that isn't the case with all teachers. For the, for the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses in these perspectives, these are some facts I came up with, some very brief research. This was not hard to find. And some of these are direct quotes from their scriptures or from their uh, founders or their leaders. Uh, again, I'm not going to reference all that specifically here. It takes too long. But I, if you ask me, I will tell you where I got it from. Um, Mormons believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are actually three separate gods. And that they believe that the Father and Son each have a body of flesh and bones as tangible as a man's. That's the Father now, right? But that the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. Okay. But they're, they're, they're saying something different than the Bible says, right? According to Joseph Smith, one of the founders of Mormonism, when Adam was formed in the image of God, it was only a physical image. And that God the Father was once a mortal who lived on earth. This is not from our scriptures, but it is from theirs. Okay, He died, was resurrected and glorified, and grew into his deified status. That's what they believe about their God the Father. And according to Joseph Smith, there is even a God above the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's another God. That's not our teachings. God the Father is the little, literal Father, physical, literal Father of all spiritual children, including Jesus and the Holy Ghost. So that's a difference. And their divinity is defined from the relationship to the Father. That's not our teachings, guys, but that's theirs. Okay? The Jehovah's Witnesses, they claim that Jesus was not divine 
flat out not. The Holy Spirit is simply an active force and not a person. They believe that Jesus is God's only direct creation. They didn't create anything else. And therefore, he's rightly entitled to be called the firstborn of all creation and the Son of God. That's how he became that. Um, they believe he is not. He's a created being. He's not part of any trinity. They don't acknowledge that idea. Now, that word's not in the Bible, but the teachings are. Um, they believe that Jesus lived in heaven before coming to earth, and after his death, they deny his resurrection. Instead, they teach, check this out, they teach that Jesus' body was dissolved into gases. That's not our teaching. It can't be, right? Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the organization, this is a guy who founded the Jehovah's Witnesses, said specifically, this is a quote, the man Jesus is dead, forever dead. They also believe Jesus gave his perfect human life as a ransom sacrifice. That sounds like our teaching. And that through his death, he makes it possible for those exercising faith in him to gain everlasting life. That sounds like our teaching. But since they deny his resurrection, they can't be teaching what we teach. That's what I meant about being false teachers that sound like they're talking about Jesus. They don't teach what we teach, guys. Okay? So, I, and I, again, I'm not to bash them, but we need to be aware of this stuff. Okay? We need to be aware of this stuff. There's another well-known denomination that teaches there are others besides Jesus without sin. For a variety of reasons they teach this, but one that comes to mind specifically teaches that Mary was sinless, because if she wasn't sinless, Jesus couldn't be sinless. He couldn't have been born sinless. And that's not scripture, guys. Very clearly it's not. It directly contradicts it. And it ruins the fact about Jesus' birth and how it leads to our salvation. And this isn't from God. So as we hear other teachings, we need to know those things, and we need to be able to tell. We need to know the truth so that when those false things are presented, because some of them sound really close to what we understand, we need to see the differences, okay? Um, that, that's some well-known specific problems, but you know, it talks about how the world, let me read this again. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them, okay? There are other just generic things that people say about Jesus that sound really good um, and have philosophies that, uh, how could we argue with that kind of thing, right? But really, he, they're still denying that Jesus is the Savior come in the flesh. And, and if we don't recognize this, we can get caught. One of the things I do want you to think about is how has this seeped into your own thinking, some of this stuff? Maybe not the Jehovah's Witness things, but some of these other things may have seeped into your thoughts, and you got to separate the real from the fake. you got to be able to tell the difference. So, um, you know, a, a, a real easy one is the he was a great teacher scam. It's a total scam. You can't think this honestly. And if you think this right now, I'm not trying to offend you, but really consider the, the intellectual impossibility of this thought that Jesus was not God, but he was a great teacher. Um, this is something that it's, it's a classic argument, and you may have heard this before, and C.S. Lewis, famous author, debunked this very clearly. You may have heard this argument, and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's called the liar-lunatic-lord argument. Okay? So if Jesus was just a great teacher, he told people he was God, and that he was going to die, and he was going to come back from the dead, and that would save them. He, he told them all these things, and then the apostles taught all that stuff too, and here we are today, right? So if he did that as a great teacher, knowingly, that it wasn't true, then he was lying to everybody. And that's not a great man. Right? 2,000 years of history of people living for him and doing things that they've done on a lie, that's not a great teacher. That's a liar. Okay? If he did that stuff unknowingly, if he just thought it but was wrong, it's kind of crazy, and he, I mean, he got killed for it, that's a crazy person. That's not a good teacher. That's just someone who thought he knew stuff 
and banked his own life on it and is asking us to bank our life on it, and he's wrong because he was deluded or just wrong, that's not a great teacher either. Okay? So you got those two options. If he was a great teacher and wasn't true, then either he was lying or crazy, and you don't want to follow that. Right? If he was a great teacher and it was true, then there's nowhere to go, but he was God. He was the Lord. Okay, so you, you can't have and be intellectually honest with yourself, the approach that Jesus was just a good guy teaching good stuff and I like some of it and I'll take it for myself. If you do, you're just picking and choosing and you're making your own stuff up and that, that's where you are, that's where you are, but you can't be following Jesus. You can't be approaching at all being a follower of Christ and having that approach. It doesn't work. It's illogical and doesn't work. So, you know, that kind of thinking is the world's thinking, not specific teachings, but how many times, I've heard that so much, that this is just, you know, he's a good guy, I like what he said, and that God thing, eh, whatever, you know, I'll take, I'll take what I like out of it, you know, but okay, but you're not, you're not following God, you're following yourself, and, you know, that's where people are, that's okay, you can, you can work with that, right, you can work with someone that just wants to kind of figure their own things out, but that's not a teacher that we should be following, right, that's not, and that's what this passage is about, is picking out false teachers of Jesus, Right? Those people aren't teaching Jesus to teach them. So that, that is kind of how we can look at if a teacher is, how are they treating Jesus? Are they putting him where he belongs, his Lord? Is he God come in the flesh that saved us from our sin? Or are there other things that are not really lining up with the, what the scripture said, but it's hidden within the things they're teaching? So you know, that, that's one aspect of this. But if you look at um, the rest of this passage, and I just read a part of it, it's not just how they treat Jesus, but it's also how they treat uh, the scriptures and how we know who God is and the way that we approach thinking about God, um, reading and, and even just how salvation works, right? Just the whole package, not just Jesus himself, but the, the whole package of who God is. Because God's revealed himself in this word, right? He's revealed himself very deeply to us. And, and we can know that and how a, a teacher treats that and treats the perspective that he comes at it with will reveal who he is, okay? So in verses five and six, it says this. They are from the world. I just read this, actually. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John here says, those who know God will listen to us. He's talking about the apostles, and he's talking about the scripture that they used to, to, that they learned from, the Old Testament, and then what God revealed to them. By this point in John's life, it's been made clear to him. Peter referenced it in his writings that Paul's letters were scripture. By this point in his life, it was clear that the Holy Spirit was breathing into them and teaching them things, and they were writing it down. That, that's one of the ways that they knew that the scripture was real, and they passed that on to us. Okay? So when we, uh, when we have the opportunity to understand who God is, it's got to come from that. It can't come from our own philosophical meanderings. Right? We have to have a source outside of ourselves that tells us who God is because we don't have that ability within us to know God. And the world takes that completely differently, right? The world's gonna listen to the world's wisdom, as it just said here. The world's gonna listen to every good idea that comes along. They'll weigh it, because some ideas aren't good and they'll throw them out. But if it sounds good, all right, we'll do that. That's how the world works, right? And we have a different approach. As Christians, we take God's knowledge that he shared with us, and, and that's how we can know him. Okay, so here's some of the things that are in the scripture that God wants us to know about them. Again, kind of summarizing, referencing the, the books that they're in, but not going to read them all out because we'd be here all day. 
But um, the, these are the ideas that you need to hear from someone who's teaching from the Word. God is the creator. You see that obviously in Genesis and in John. Those two are very well-known places where it speaks about God being the creator. And in addition to that, since he created us, we can know who he is. He's made himself aware of who, of made himself, made us aware of him by the way he's created things. You see that in the book of Psalms. You see that in the book of Romans. He talks about very clearly how just creation lets us know there is a God. Okay, And then all of humanity is lost and sinful, and no one seeks after God. That's another thing that's a theme throughout the Bible, that there's no exceptions to this, that we all need, we're all sinful and need salvation. Genesis, Psalms, Romans, Ephesians, to name a few, Galatians, goodness, it's all over the place, right? If you're familiar with the scripture, you know that that's something that is predominantly taught. Salvation comes from God alone. He provides the way, and we can't save ourselves. Uh, the Gospels, obviously, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, even the book of Jonah, salvation is from the Lord, right? The guy is swallowed by a fish. Why does that have to do with salvation? Because he was disobeying God to go tell people about God. And when he sorted all that out, he realized, I got nothing to do with this. Salvation is from the Lord. Who am I to get in the way, right? That's, that was the story there. So, um, you know, it, it comes from God. We can't do it ourselves. Very clear theme in the scripture. As I said before, Jesus is fully God. That, that, I'm going to say that one again, right? The Gospels, Acts. Philippians, Colossians, Hebrews, and you name it, they're all over the place. But those, those books I referenced, say it specifically. There's no dodging, okay? Jesus is the only way to be saved. Not just that God provides the way to save, but only through Jesus. Um, Book of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life, obviously, right? Acts, there's no other name in heaven under which to be saved. Hebrews, Ephesians, Timothy talks about it all over the place. These are things that are... are, are important emphases in the scripture that you need to hear from your teachers. If they're not saying those things, you've got to put on your radar and say what's going on here, right? That, that's, these are the things that we need to be looking for from them, right? So what does the world say in contrast to that? The world is going to have some different approaches to these things, obviously. The devil started right off in Genesis. Did God really say, you know, whatever he said to them about not eating from the apple? And he twisted it. He twisted it, and then Eve had to defend herself, and all of a sudden she was confused, and here we are now, right? They're going to question the scripture. Is the scripture valid? How do you know? Men wrote that. You know, all those different things that happen. And now, hearing that from the world, I get it. Hearing that from a teacher of scripture, I don't get it, right? That's not appropriate. The, the scripture is our source, right? Um, when you start to question if God really meant what he said, or if we're just misunderstanding it, or anything like that, I think where we hear this now is in the form of, I know what the Bible says, but, right? And then they some, some qualifier for what they want to say instead. Um, often they'll try to push that off onto, oh, that was cultural for the time, or we're modern people, this is different now, that kind of stuff. And guys, the scripture is what it is. Um, Certainly there are some cultural references, and, and it does take some understanding to learn that, and, and it is actually an appropriate answer once in a while, but not very often. Most things God meant what he said when he said it, and he still means it today. Most things. Um, you, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable even saying most. I want to say all, but I know there's a couple places where we have to be aware of that. Um, and one of the worst things that happens in this kind of context is when people who are trying to portray themselves as teachers of the gospel will take some truth, a valid truth, and then start to twist it a little, and then all of a sudden their own wisdom comes out of it, 
And it's really hard to spot that. So that's where it falls on us to be aware of the real. We've got to handle those $20 bills enough that we can spot the counterfeit, right? We have to know the word. We've got to be aware of what it says. And if it doesn't, if you don't, you're susceptible to this, okay? And it's really hard, really hard to spot some of that. So I encourage you to spend time in your word. And then if you don't know, ask somebody. Don't rely on yourself to figure that out. Hey, I heard this guy the other day on the radio, and he said this, and it sounded a little bit off, but I wasn't sure. The rest sounded really good. Oh, yeah? What'd you hear? Da-da-da-da-da. No, that's this kind of teaching. I've heard that before from this false teacher in other places, and you'll find all of a sudden someone else knows. Okay, So that's a particular place when you start to hear people um, quote the Bible, but then go in places you're not sure it goes. Listen, think, and compare it to other scriptures, and get help on that. Okay. There's another common thought from the world, I think, and this is found in just about every false religion, right? the, the, the worship Apollo kind of religions, let alone you know, people who appear to be following Christ. And honestly, guys, this will appear, it's sad to say, even among other Christian denominations that we would think are following Jesus like we are, and, and that's the idea that we have to do something to earn our salvation. That is completely 100% not anywhere in the scripture you can find. The, um, some will flat out state it. You know, those that are a little more brazen will, will say you have to do this, you have to trust Jesus and do this, okay? And that's, that's not scripture, very clearly. The, the Bible teaches 100% that our salvation, our uh, being um, clean before God in terms of righteousness, all that comes from him. Um, but the ideas I'm talking about is you'll hear things, some will say it straight out, but others aren't so clear. And um, when you start to look at their beliefs or read what they teach, you may not hear it preached because it isn't something that they're going to emphasize. But when you get to the place, you know, for example, we have our Discover River class where we teach you about how our church works and stuff like that. You might have to get into that class to hear this from people that is different from the Bible. They might not preach it openly. But once you get into the, the workings of how you're part of their church, that's where you might see it. Um, you might see things like they require you, or they don't require you. They say it's required for you to be baptized to be saved. Now, um, we've done a couple baptisms in the last couple months here, and so you've heard Sean talk about this. That is absolutely has nothing to do with anyone's salvation. It's a, it's a step of obedience afterwards, and he talks about the scriptures at the time that reference that, um, and it's in, we have a little pamphlet somewhere here that, that talks about that, probably on that little table right there if you're interested. Uh, our, our views on baptism, and in there you'll find the scriptures that we read that tell us why you do it, and it has nothing to do with your salvation, but there are denominations that teach that you have to do that. Um, or you might have to participate in certain sacraments of the church, or you'll be no longer part of the family and God casts you out. Uh, you might not realize that just from listening to them, but as they start to practice these things, you'll see it. Um, these are all things where you're working for your salvation. If you're required to do something, that's you being required to do something, and it's not Jesus dying to save you. Uh, and that, that's not what the scripture teaches, right? That, that's very clearly not it. Another common thought and certainly one denomination, if not others, uh, is there's some sort of post-death, pre-heaven and hell kind of circumstance where you can pay off your sins. Again, not scripture. Sounds like a good plan, right? Sound, sounds pretty good deal. I, I don't have to go right to hell. I can take a few million years and pay off my sins, then I get to go to heaven. Better than going to hell. I like that, right? That's not what the scripture teaches. But that's where the world's wisdom seeps in, right? It, it seems like a good idea, and then, you know, all of a sudden, we're off in a place that someone just made it up, and it's not what the scripture teaches. Um, in fact, guys, not only is it not, it's not just 
not what the scripture teaches, not from God. God refers, or Jesus, John here refers to it in this passage as the spirit of the Antichrist against Christ, against our salvation. That stuff doesn't just, uh, that's not right. That's working in opposition to the true gospel. If people feel like they have to work to be saved, that's the complete opposite of what it is. And that's not good, right? We need to not listen to that. We need to not follow that. And we need to encourage others not to, too, as best as we can. But that's, you know, that's a different story as well. So those ideas, some of those from the Mormon perspective, just so you know this, too. The, the Mormon church teaches that the Bible has been transmitted has been transmitted over the centuries, as it has been transmitted, I'm sorry, over the centuries. It has, this is a quote, suffered the loss of many plain and precious parts. They don't think scripture is inerrant. They believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly, and that the most reliable way to measure the accuracy of any biblical passage is not by comparing different texts, but by comparison with the Book of Mormon and modern day revelations, direct quote. They don't value scripture like we do. They, they think other things interpret scripture. The Book of Mormon teaches, now this one blew me away. The Book of Mormon teaches that only fools say the Bible is sufficient and that other scripture is not needed. This is a quote from the Book of Nephi. Thou fool that shall say, a Bible? We have got a Bible and we need no more Bible. They don't value it. Um, and anyone who's educated in this at all, I'm not gonna go into it, but the events surrounding the acquisition of the Book of Mormon, they'll raise an eyebrow or two. Okay, they're, they're a bit fanciful, shall we say. Um, that's for another day. But they don't value scripture the way they do. They, they value the Book of Mormon and their modern day revelations more than the Bible. So that, to me, that, that's it. That's it. We're done. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which is a subsidiary of the Jehovah's Witness Corporation, um, but they published its own formal equivalence translation of the Bible. It's called the New World Translation. And since the release of that translation in 1950, across the world by biblical scholars. It's been criticized in great detail. They change words, they put in words just to fit their, uh, their own beliefs, it's clear. And this one killed me. I'd heard about this, but I hadn't really researched it. I researched it a little bit. There was a trial in Sweden, or Switzerland rather. Someone sued the Job's Witnesses for falsely claiming they translated the Bible. The head translator got up on the stand. This is, they got, they got court documents of this. They gave him some Hebrew to translate and he said, I can't do that. They made it up, straight up. I'm going to call it out. They made it up. They said what they wanted to to pr promote their beliefs. They had no, no translators that had any of the language skills to do that. So that's their value of the Bible. Okay. Um, and again, I'm not bashing them, but they'll be coming to your door. One came to our door this week sometime. Right? You need to know that they're not Christians. They're not following Jesus. Um, what you do with that is your business, but don't listen to them. Okay? Don't listen to them. At these points with scripture, when, when you see how people handle scripture, and we, you know what scripture says, and when you see um, how they think about how God revealed himself, and we know what God said about how he revealed himself, these things fall short, right? They reveal themselves, they're not seeking after truth. Um, they're clever, and they'll dodge. Boy, when I was back in that room with those Mormons, they dodge like crazy. They, they have all kinds of half answers, and they'll maneuver and, and manipulate, but when you put them to the test, they don't follow. Okay, so, so understand that, and, and not even for those guys, but for other people that you run into that have apparently Christian beliefs, put them to those same tests. Ask them what they think about Jesus, knowing what you know, right? And, and draw out of them, and many times you'll find things that are lacking. So to kind of wrap this up here, I want to read uh, uh, Matthew 7, a piece out of Matthew 7 for you, just to give you kind of a final how do we handle this approach. Matthew 7, it says this, 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So how do we recognize the wolves and the shepherds, right? What does woven fruit look like? How do you pick them out? Or conversely, just like with the counterfeits, how do you recognize a true shepherd? What are, what are his fruits? I'm just going to throw up some characteristics, just looking at things and, and again, talking to Sean about and, you know, how he approaches some of this stuff. Um, some of the things that you'll find from a wolf, you'll find that they tend to manipulate rather than motivate people. They'll try to get you to, to follow them instead of follow Jesus. And, and things are about how they think, not about you know, what, what's good for us and for the the for God's kingdom, more about them than about God's kingdom. Additionally, and this is straight from scripture, they'll say what people want to hear, okay? In 2 Timothy, it talks about in the latter days, people will look for teachers to satisfy their itching ears. They, they, they want to hear stuff and that's who they'll listen to. Boy, that's today's world, isn't it, right? The, with the, the ability to just follow whoever you want and tune everybody else out on the internet, stuff like that, that's, you can see that. So when people are just saying things that people want to hear, Heads up, that might be a wolf, right? And honestly, one of the things that to me stands out is they are not an open book. They are closed up. They don't like questioning. They want to be in charge. If you question them, you got an issue. When those, those fruit show up, you've got to sniff a wolf, okay? In contrast to that, shepherds, sort of along the same lines, those same three characteristics. Shepherds are going to serve the flock, guys. They're not going to exalt themselves. Jesus, Paul, and Peter specifically address that behavior. All three of them call out, don't lord it over your brothers and sisters. You know, which you guys were arguing about which one of you was the greatest, weren't you? Right? Jesus called them out. Peter and Paul both call it out in their letters. Don't do that. So, and that's expected, the, the, the highest of standards from these guys. Right? The, the letters lay out what, what the shepherds are supposed to live. They're supposed to give their lives for the flock. Right? That's how it's supposed to be. And the model of that is Jesus giving his life for the church. So, uh, a wolf is not going to do that. They're going to be looking out for themselves. The shepherds will do that. So that, that's, that's the distinction that you can see. The second one I said is that they're going to say what people want to hear. Well, the, um, the real shepherd, his teaching is going to be consistent with the Bible. I kind of had to deal with this today. I didn't really want to come out here and bash those, those folks. I really don't. But you need to hear that, right? And, and you got to hold the teachers you listen to, to that, like the Berean Christians, I'm going to keep referring to that. You got to hold them to that. Um, if you hear something that's wrong, you got to say, hey, that's not cool. And honestly, that means the preaching that you hear or the teaching that you hear from someone following scripture is going to conflict with the world. They are from the world. They listen to the world. You follow us. You follow God, right? That's two different things, right? It's when you feel a conflict between what you know from the world and what you hear from scripture, that's appropriate. <laughs> you should be feeling that. And in fact, I would recommend, this is just an aside for all of us, when you feel that conflict, think about why, and maybe some of the world's teachings are seeping into your thoughts, right? Maybe you need to think about that and clean some of that up because it's really easy. It's so easy to be, you know, it's a good idea. It sounds good to me. And all of a sudden, you're in a place that you don't need to be with, with Jesus. So um, consider that. I mean, goodness, the, the, the conflicts, if we were um, to think about 
Now, I'm going to give you a list here just because I, I read this from someone, so this is a quote that cracked me up. The things that we shouldn't be talking about in church because of political correctness and stuff like that, we couldn't talk about Lot because he's homophobic, right? And this is the circumstances there. But if we don't talk about Lot, we don't learn, right? We can't talk about Moses because he's a legalist. You're telling me to follow rules. I can't do that, right? Can't talk about Samson because he didn't let the immigrants in. He didn't like people coming into his country, so we can't do that, right? Um, Hosea. His wife was a prostitute. She, you can't be worried about people's promiscuity. That's none of your business. But we got to talk about Hosea and talk about how he handled that, right? Can't talk about Paul because he's a misogynist. He hates women. So we're done talking about all those epistles, right? Um, anything we preach from God's word is going to be contrary to some things in the world. There's going to be some, some separation. And if we don't hear that, we're probably not hearing from the scripture, right? If you don't hear some things that are pushing against the world system from the people teaching you, I won't say never, but they're probably not going up against the hard teachings that you need to hear, okay? Not to be causing trouble. Again, I don't want to cause trouble today, but you don't look for trouble. You don't try to, to offend people, but the word's going to offend them because in, by nature, we're sinners and we like our sin and we're going to be offended by that. So we should be hearing things that are contrary to the world's philosophies. If you don't, be wondering. That's what I would say. And finally, the idea of the, the fact that um, wolves don't like to be questioned because their motives are going to come out if you do. Um, people who are teaching you should be very open with their lives. They shouldn't be trying to hide things from you. They should be willing to be questioned and stuff like that. And if they don't handle it well, you need to, you need to check them out with that. I'm going to tell you a story about Sean. I love when he's not here because I get to talk about him. Usually I'm making fun of him, but this is a good one. Okay, I met Sean when I was a junior in college. He was a, a first-year student at the seminary over in Rotterdam that many of you would be familiar with. And he, uh, he was part of the church that I was part of, and that church had a uh, Bible study on campus. And Sean came to lead it one night. And I had been a Christian for two or three years at that point. And of course, I knew way more than anybody else did at that point. I was well-versed in the scriptures. But I had done a lot of studying, and I, I, I was you know, very serious about it. So he was teaching, it's all good. And afterwards, he was having conversations with students, typical, you know, chatting afterwards. And he was talking to, I remember the kid's name, I won't share it. This is how much this struck me. He was talking to one of my friends about scriptural stuff. And my roommate and I were hanging out waiting because we had to lock the room up to leave. We were in charge of locking everything up. So we were just sitting there waiting. We weren't involved in the conversation, but we were listening. And Sean was talking, it was all good. And then he said something that today he would, he would never say. He just, it, it was a... Part, something about salvation, I know what it was, I'm not going to get into it, but something about salvation where he, he phrased it wrong and had a, a, a wrong idea. And uh, all good, they kind of, my roommate and I are like, uh-oh, <laughs> what are we going to do about this? So, and this, here's a seminary student, right? He's only a couple years older, he's a lot older than I am, but he's only a couple years older than I am. Um, there, I got to make fun of him, that's good. Uh, so, but, you know, seminary student, had been a Christian for a long time, uh, you know, all this stuff, teaching the Bible study. We're like, what do we do? Right? Well, we got to bring it up. So we were, those of you who know me, shockingly, I was gracious and uh, brought it up to him and said, Sean, you know, you said so-and-so, and, and we had scripture out. We knew, we knew where we, we wanted to call him on it. And see what it says here? And it was awesome to watch his reaction. It was, do you know where he lives? I got to go tell him that. I got to go show him where I was wrong. Oh, my goodness. That was, it was just, it blew me away, right? And he'll do that to this day. We've had... Jeremy will attest to this. All three of us have had things we've talked to each other about and said, mm, you know, and that kind of thing. And all three of us, it's us. Awesome. We get along so well. I love it. That when we say something, 
we consider, we go, hmm, and then we deal. And it's, it's been very open and honest with the three of us. And it'll be that way if you guys come to us, I hope. That would be, I would hope you would hold us to that. But as Sean does that, that's a real shepherd, right? A wolf would have said, you don't know what you're talking about, kid, right? This is what the scriptures say, and I've experienced that too in those same settings when I called someone out in, that, in those Bible studies. They got mad and yelled at me. Not a, not a shepherd, a wolf, okay? That's the kind of thing. They, they're telling you what they want. They think you want to hear, exactly, right? So those are some things I can point to for you to, to help understand and see, smell the fruit out, okay? Let me close with this bit. Um, now, you're, we're all at different stages of our walk with Jesus. Maybe some of you are new to it. You're just, even, maybe even just checking it out. Maybe you don't even know who this Jesus guy is and you're just trying to figure that out. And that, this may be pretty, seem pretty daunting to have to understand all the scriptures so you can pick out the false ones and stuff like that. I agree. There's a lot to know to deal with that. And God sympathizes with those in, that, in those circumstances. Okay? Or maybe we've been around the block a time or two. Ken sent to me today, this isn't my first rodeo. Maybe that's you. You've been around. Okay? When you get to that point, you might have a whole lot of confidence. And guys, I would say to you, wake up and be careful. Don't have any false confidence. Don't get arrogant. The father of lies is good at it. He is really good at it. So God sympathizes with those folks too. Maybe not sympathizes, but he understands. He doesn't sympathize with arrogance, but he understands who we are. And the solution to both ends of that, those who feel overwhelmed, because how am I supposed to know who's a real teacher or not, because I barely know anything about God myself, to those of us who have been around and feel like we know everything and we're pretty easy targets sometimes because we think we know what we're doing. Um, in both cases, the solution to that is verse 4 in this chapter. It says in verse 4, Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's not us fighting the battle, right? The spirit who lives in us fights that battle. He teaches us. So when we don't know, he'll help you. When you think you know and you don't, he'll warn you. Okay, the, the spirit is the one that's going to help you overcome this. You can't do it yourself. So if you feel like you're too weak, good for you because you are, and the spirit will help you. If you feel like you know everything, wake up, you don't, and listen to the spirit when he's talking because he'll help you there too. Okay, in either case, when you're worried about who your teachers are, look to God, and God's given you the spirit, and he's given people around you who are also listening to that same spirit, and together, between those things, you've got a lot of help, right? And always, always, always be like a Berean Christian and go back and check it out. Okay, so I hope that's helped you. Um, I'm going to pray now as the team comes up to do our, our last part of our worship here. Lord, we thank you as uh, we hear from you that you protect us and you will keep us safe if we will lean on you. Father, we pray for those in this uh, situation that might be hearing false teaching and be confused, that you would clear their minds. Lord, we pray for those in the room now. We pray for our friends. We pray for our neighbors and our families, anyone that we know that's in this circumstance. And Lord, we pray also that you would, uh, you would just help us to help them in a gentle and gracious way. And Father, as we deal with people who are not following Christ, help us to always show the love of Christ. Help us to always remind them that you died for us and that um, we can't do this on our own and that we, we stand on your word and not our own. Lord, we ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.